Welcome to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages every week. These powerful messages are sure to inspire you and keep you on track. Whether it's our late founder, Pastor Wayman Mitchell, or any of your favorite fellowship leaders worldwide, including Pastors Joe Campbell, Paul Stevens, Mark Olson, Tom Payne, Harold Warner, Richard Ruby, and many more, get ready to hear from God through this message. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to the old prophet, the Old Testament prophet of Amos. I want you to turn with me. I can't remember if I've ever preached out of the book of Amos. But we happened to run across the book of Amos this week in our Bible reading plan. And as I began to read it, I was challenged once again to look together uh, at some principles that we find. Amos, I want you to, to, uh, to keep your finger, if you have a, a, a paper Bible, then you can use a finger. Uh, if you're on an app, then you'll have to switch. But uh, we're going to look at two separate chapters this morning, chapter 3 and also chapter 7. Amos chapter 3 and Amos chapter 7. When my wife and I were first-time home buyers in Gilbert, Arizona, we were young. It was in the time when anybody could get a loan, and probably that was a time that we should not have gotten a mortgage. Uh, our finances were, <laughs> were not great, to say the least. Uh, but uh, somehow, the bank gave us a mortgage, and we got a home, and it was a great blessing to us. And I can remember so clearly just being so happy to, uh, to have a place that we could call our own. And the first time that we invited our good friends, John and Wendy Cornell, some of you know them, and we invited them over to our house to, uh, you know, to have some fellowship together. And what you have to know about uh, our brother John Cornell is that he was, uh, he was a framer, he was builder, he worked on a team that built houses in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona and various places. And, uh, and then he, had, he goes on, even to this day, he is now a building inspector in, uh, in the city of Phoenix, Arizona. So he's very construction-minded. And so uh, we were so happy to have this new house, and, and I can remember that he walked in the front door, and he, he takes a look around, just like this, and he points his finger at this wall, and he said, they didn't do that right. <laughs> and, you know, we were, we were just happy to have a house, you know, have a roof over our head, uh, but he looked, and immediately he could, he could tell that, that one wall, and just by the, the line of how it was joined to the ceiling, that it was just off just a little bit, that to his builder's eye, he knew that somebody had cut a corner and done something wrong, and uh, that it was not uh, uh, built properly, that particular wall. Thankfully, it was not a serious issue, only a very, uh, um, it was just, just, just to annoy. And so... Um, the problem was, though, that once, once we, you know, we went through the whole buying process thinking, thinking this is a perfect house, uh, and once somebody points out a flaw like that, you can never unsee it. And so uh, from that time on, every time I walked into the house, I looked up and I saw that same line. It was annoying to me because I knew that 
fixing it was either going to require a lot of work or a lot of money or maybe a lot of both. And so I preferred to just let it annoy me. I preferred to just let it stay there. I hadn't noticed it in the beginning. Only somebody like John Cornell would probably notice it in the future. Now, we can take that principle and we can apply it to much more important things in our lives. How many have seen in the news this, uh, this building that collapsed in the city of Surfside, Florida? A very tragic story that now we have 97, 97 confirmed deaths and probably more. Uh, basically, if you hadn't heard the news, uh, a building uh, that ha- had, uh, I believe it was like a 14-story building, condominiums, in, uh, just there on the Surfside city of, of Florida, and uh, basically fell down out of nowhere. And so people were stuck in the collapse. It was a terrible, terrible thing. But uh, in a news article, uh, it revealed this. There was something that had been produced in 2018 called the Morabito report, which was a report on the integrity of this building. And the report focused attention on the pool deck, which they found that the waterproofing underneath the pool deck had failed, that the builder had laid that flat instead of at a slope. The the correct way to build this pool deck was to have a slope so that the water will drain off after it rains. But because it was flat, they said that this threatened the concrete slab under the pool and other structural areas. Quoting from that report, it said, Failure to replace waterproofing in the near future will cause the extent of the concrete deterioration to expand exponentially. They also cited abundant cracking in concrete columns and beams. That was in 2018 that report was produced. And now 97 people have perished at least because somebody did the same thing that I did. They looked at the problem and they said, it's going to be too expensive and too difficult to repair. We're just going to let it stay. And so we learn a lesson this morning, a very tragic lesson, that when you fail to do the hard and expensive work of difficult repair, you are risking a total collapse. The problem is that the things that will collapse in our lives are much more valuable than a condominium in Surfside, Florida. The things that will collapse in our lives are destiny, our future, a marriage, a home, a family, a church, a future with God. These things are far more valuable than a wall in our first house or a condo building in Florida. And yet we have things in our lives that we know that need repair. And when we fail to work on those things, we are risking total collapse. It's not like there was no warning. You come to church, how many know you come to church and you hear warnings? You hear from the Word of God, you no doubt you go to prayer. And you hear directly from God. You read the scripture. And you read the warnings there. But the question is, will we, as individuals, as families, as a church body, will we heed the warning voice of the Lord? What standards are you building your life on? This is a message I've titled, God's Construction Project. I'm going to read 
uh, Amos 3, verse 3, which we'll come back to at the end of the message. And it says these words, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Then flipping over to Amos chapter 7, verse 7, the word of the Lord says this, He showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, and with a plumb line in his hand, and the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house. Jeroboam let's pray Lord we come by the blood of Jesus I'm praying God that you would speak to our hearts today God that we would once again lay hold of your righteous standards God that we would uh, heed the warnings of your scripture of your voice of your truth this day and we thank you Lord for every person here God that we may serve you that we may walk with you God as we agree with you and we thank you father for all that you're going to do in Jesus mighty name God's people would say Amen. God's construction project. The problem is that we are living in a world that has rejected the standards of the Lord. And as time goes by, those rejections grow greater and greater. There was a time in the history of this nation that, you know, that, that there, there were many more standards that agreed with God's standards. That time is no longer. It would be nice for us to focus and want to go back to that time. Uh, but I believe that that is changing and radically changing, especially in the last few years. We live in an hour where the world is rejecting standards, standards of morality, standards of sexuality, standards about marriage, about truth, standards even about gender see you cannot make statements you cannot proclaim things like men can give birth you cannot make a statement like that without doing serious damage to the foundation of how we perceive reality it is a bending of truth and it is the building it is the construction of a fantasy world it is the equivalent of trying to build a building on top of a pillow of air. It's the equivalent of what Jesus said, that some who <clears throat> build their house on a rock versus those who build their lives on the sand. The problem with building on sand is that it's constantly shifting. And if you try to build of any value, anything of worth, truth, then you will be utterly disappointed because it it is going to lead to a collapse this article i picked up just from today uh, the international olympic committee on saturday backed new zealand's selection of a transgender weightlifter laurel hubbard for the tokyo olympics despite criticism saying that under the current rules she can compete let's be clear she is not a she she is a he. In fact, he is a 43-year-old man who is now competing in the female weightlifting competition going to the Olympics. 
Hubbard is set to become the first transgender athlete to compete at the Olympic Games. If you thought this is not serious, you're wrong. There is something serious happening in our world. This, I'm not angry at this person, right? I'm not, I'm not saying he's the, he's the devil. I'm saying this is, a, this is something much bigger happening to the world that we're living in. When the Olympic Committee says it's okay for a 43-year-old man to compete in the heavyweight lifting competition with the females, there's something wrong with this picture. Critics have questioned the fairness of transgender, transgender athletes competing against women. No kidding. If he's 43 years old, what that means is that he can't compete with the men anymore. And the only way he's going to win is to compete against the women. This is just one example, and I could cite so many others, of a bending of reality of the world around us. That we, that we as a culture, we as a people, the world at large, we are trying to fit our worldview, our desires, our wants into reality when it doesn't work. See, you can't do this if you're an engineer, if you're a builder, if you are working in the practical sciences. There is a certain limit to how far ideology can go. Right? Eventually, your ideology, your idealism, your views on life have to bend to reality. For example, Elon Musk, if he wants to build a rocket that's going to go in, into orbit, right, he can't build it out of bubble gum and baling wire. As much as he might believe that bubble gum and baling wire is the greatest, uh, and duct tape, is the greatest substance on the planet Earth, eventually he's going to hit a wall. He's not going to be able to build with those materials to get into orbit. Now this is true when it comes to the physical world, but it's also true about spiritual things, about families, about relationships. You cannot put an ideology, you can't tell little Johnny that actually he's little Susie and, and, and expect that that's going to not lead to a great disaster. Of course it is. We have this song that uh, Savannah had made famous in our church. Won't he do it? And we say, what? Yes, he will. Okay, so everybody loves the song, including myself. But the problem is, it depends on the word it. What is the it that, he, that we are expecting him to do? If the it is oh, you know, I've just been really praying that, you know, uh, the 43-year-old man would get into the Olympics and compete against the women. Oh, he did it! Won't he do it? That's the wrong it, right? <laughs> or, uh, you know, I, I've, I've heard people, you know, that, that, you know, Pastor, I, I need to get a new vehicle. And so, you know, I'm just praying that I can go down to the, to the, uh, to the, to the second-hand repair guy down the street. He's going to, God, would you help me to get a $45,000 loan, Lord, so I can just drive it until the wheels... Oh, he did it. Won't he do it? Yes, he will. That's not the will of God. See, it really depends on the word it, doesn't it? Won't, what do we expect God to do? Do we expect God to bless the bending of our reality? Do we expect God 
to, to uh, agree with our false notions that we come up with in our culture. We are living in very strange times. And what our scripture is about is very interesting. Something called a plumb line. This is again from chapter 7, verse 7. Behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line. With a plumb line in his hand, the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Now, when I say the word plumb, I'm not talking about a fruit. The plumb line in the Bible that God is showing to his prophet Amos, P-L-U-M-B, plumb. The plumb line is a building tool. It is a way of building and using construction strategies. And so this message is delivered to Amos in the middle. God is getting ready to test his people. He's going to measure their obedience the same way that a plumb line would measure the integrity of a wall. Let me explain to you what a plumb line is exactly. A plumb line is basically a weight on the end of a string. And it's been used since ancient times, obviously. And what they would do is, as they are building up a wall, how many know, as you're building a wall, no matter what the material is, if it's bricks or if it's stones, uh, mason work, if it's made from wood, no matter what the wall is, as you're building a wall, what you really want to do is to make sure that that wall is straight up and down. You don't want a wall that's leaning to one side or another. Why? Because a wall that is leaning is not structurally it does have no structural integrity. It's going to fall down. Thank you, plumb line. And so ancient builders figured this out, that you could attach a weight to the end of a string and you could tie that string to some object. So if a wall was four feet tall, then you could put a little line and hang it from the top of your wall and then you could measure the distance of where each stone or where each brick was according to that line. Basically, we're using the principle of gravity. When the string stops swinging, when it is perfectly still, then you have a line that you know is directly up and down. It is like using the magnetic north of a compass. That no matter which way, I can turn around, I can get dizzy, I can even have a blindfold on, but when I take it off and I look at a compass, it's always going to go back to true north. And the same is true of a plumb line. And so God is making a statement here. He's saying, I am going to measure the obedience of my people. They've been building things. They've been living life. They've been making decisions. And now God says, I'm going to use my plumb line and I'm going to see whether what they've built is straight or if it is crooked. This is a kind thing that God is doing. It is a wonderful thing to have building standards, to have codes. Do you remember several years ago uh, in Haiti when there was a, a terrible earthquake? And the problem was not so much the earthquake, but it was the destruction of all of those buildings. Because the problem in the, in the island nation of Haiti is that people would build these shanty little shacks, that they would even build them two or three floors high, and there was no building codes. There was no inspector. There was no one with a plumb line. There was no one going in to measure and make sure. They just built it and put it up to have a roof over their head. 
The problem was when the earthquake struck, it was devastating destruction. The same earthquake could occur in San Francisco or uh, anywhere else in the world. And, but the, the difference is if you have building codes in place, you're prepared for the shaking of an earthquake. And the same earthquake could occur, even stronger earthquakes could occur in other cities, and you won't have buildings falling down because they've been built to a certain code. The same is true of our lives. The same is true of our morality. Let me ask you, how are you building your life today? Going back to our scripture, this was a time in Israel's history where they had much peace and prosperity. Amos was arguing that Israel was going the wrong direction because in chapter 2, verse 6, he says, they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. In other words, they, even though everything looked good, there was peace, there was prosperity, people had money in their pockets, there wasn't a war on every, on every street corner, and yet, he said, there's something under the surface. There's something turning aside. They're selling righteousness for, uh, for filthy mammon. They are putting the priorities uh, of God aside. I want to tell you, this is a p- perfect picture of what's happening in our world today. That there has been no more prosperous nation than our nation. There has been no time of, of uh, material blessing like you are living in right now. If you had the choice between living in 2021 or 1921, you would choose 2021 every time. And so would everyone else in the history of the world. Because we, we cannot deny we are living in incredible blessing, prosperity. You've got a tiny pocket computer in your, in your worse or, purse or wallet that can do, uh, that is even stronger than the computer that put man on the moon. We are living in a time of incredible prosperity, and yet, under the surface, there is decisions that are being made on a daily basis that is undermining reality. And so, Amos is proclaiming God's judgment. It's like my friend John, when he came into my house, and he saw that one wall, and he said, you know, that wasn't done right. And you know, I I had a choice at that time. I could get angry. I said, shut up, John. This is my house. Or I could say, yeah, you know, that's right. And, I, and then I would have to make a decision whether I'm going to ignore it or whether I'm going to do something about it. Now, often what happens with God's prophets is they will use God's plumb line to measure the nation and they will make a proclamation. This is not being built right. What you're doing is not right. Do you know Uh, that Israel, when they often heard the prophets, and the prophets would be calling them out and saying, "Uh, you're not living right, you're not doing right. Do you know that most of Israel, and the kings included, that, you know, they didn't say, oh, thank you, Amos. Oh, thank you for pointing that out to us. We're so glad that you're speaking for the Lord and that you're showing us these things. We're so grateful to... No, do you know what they did? They killed the prophets! God is trying to help them. He's trying to measure the wall that has been built. And he's saying, look, if you keep building this way, it's all going to fall apart. This is a kind thing that God is doing by speaking to Amos and to his people. 
God had judged Israel on five separate occasions in Amos chapter 4. Listen to how they respond to God's judgments. This is verses 6, 8, 9, 10, and 11. It's repeated. God says to them, Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Yet you have not returned to me. You know, when God repeats something five times in the same chapter, he's trying to get a point across. Yet you have not returned to me. What does that mean? That means I'm warning you, you're not listening. I'm trying to show you that the wall that you're building, the family that you're building, the life that you're building, it's leaning off to the side. I can show you the plumb line. It's way off. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to show you. Yet you have not returned to me. It means that they were rebelling against God's holy standards. They were unrepentant. This is the worst thing that can happen to any believer. When God shows you what you're doing wrong and how you can improve, and you say, no, I have a better idea, Lord. Things aren't so bad right now. You know, I'm not getting struck by lightning or anything. I still have money in my pocket. Things are still together. Amos pleads with the Lord two times to relent from his judgment, and God graciously does. But then, in in this chapter that we read, chapter 7, God is telling him he's getting ready to judge Israel with the plumb line. And finally, Amos says, okay, Lord, I've interceded twice already. God is giving them a standard from which he would measure their conduct. And now it was up to them to reach it. God is trying to justify their crooked ways. And at the end of verse 8, it makes this statement, I will not pass by them anymore it has the idea of a building inspector right you know that we're dealing now with the city with some building inspections and things we're trying to get everything right with the city thankfully we've been during this time of covid you know the city has basically been doing nothing for a year so thankfully you know like the lord they've been passing by there was one day we got a little note on our door said you need to call us you need to get in touch with us and we've done that, we, you know, we're, we're dealing, we're working with them, getting everything straight. But in the meantime, all of these city inspectors, they've been passing by our church building. They've been showing, they've been very patient with us. I'm not saying they're the devil or anything. They're doing their job. But see, for us, as a church, it would be stupid and foolish to ignore the inspectors. To ignore their messages. To not answer their phone calls. Why would that be stupid? Because one day we could show up and have chains around the front door. They have that power. And they would be right to do so. The Lord had been passing his people by. Aren't you glad we serve a gracious God? He's patient with us. That he, he, he knows that we're weak in our flesh. He knows that we struggle in temptation. He knows and he can see sometimes you're building something. Your life, your marriage, your future. And it's, it's starting to get off. God says, hey, he's faithful. This isn't right. You need to fix this. If you keep doing that, it's going to be destruction. And yet he passes by. He doesn't take a sledgehammer to it. Thank God. For a while. I want to make a statement to you this morning. God does not negotiate his law for anybody. His law is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the Word of God made 
flesh. And we know that Jesus did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. And His law is true. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that He should lie. Neither the Son of Man that He should repent. As He said, and shall He not do it? That's where that song came from. Or has He spoken, and shall He not make it good? Won't He do it? Amen. He will do every single thing that He has said in His Word. The Word of God is still true. And it, it will not bend to your whims and your desires, even the whims and the desires of a society, of a government. It, it doesn't matter. The Word of God is true. Compared to the Word of God, every man is a liar. And that Word, God will not negotiate it. He will help. He will lead. He will reveal. He will guide. But in the end... If we don't listen to him as individuals, as families, as a church, then the destruction that we will experience is a destruction of our own making. Was it God who built that wall all funky and out of whack? No. Was it God who made all of the stupid decisions that we've made in our lives? No. God is gracious and patient and He tries to help us along the way. But when you and I, when we refuse to listen, as Israel did, we build something that is destined to fall down. Don't blame God. Don't blame God for all of the stupid decisions that you've made. And when it falls apart, you shake your fist at God. And God says, I warned you. I tried to help you. I showed you in my word. And you refused to listen. God is saying that to our nation, to our culture, to our world. There are several places in the Bible where God speaks of himself as a builder. Isaiah 28, verse 16. Thus, the Lord, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, that he who believes shall not be in haste. That is a messianic prediction that Jesus Christ, he became the chief cornerstone. In the ancient days of building, they would always, if they went to, to, uh, to, build a, to construct a building, they would begin with this one massive stone. They called it a cornerstone. And the reason they called it that, and you can still go to old buildings today. In fact, you go up to Colonial Williamsburg, you'll find some buildings that were built in this way. They will start with one cornerstone, and then from that cornerstone, they will make all the other necessary measurements. So without that cornerstone, the building could not be constructed. The same is true of Jesus. He is the precious cornerstone of our faith. This points forward to the one that caused the builder, the one that the builders rejected, has become the chief cornerstone. This is the promise of the kingdom. Jesus is establishing his kingdom on this earth. And how did he start? By living a perfect life. He showed us the standard. He showed us how to live. He showed us how to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, even unto death. He showed us how to build that perfect wall. That is straight up and down. You can hold the plumb line the standards of God's truth. You can hold it up to the life of Jesus and it passed the test. He is the chief cornerstone and now he is building his kingdom. And I want to tell you, 
You are a part of that kingdom. You are a part of what God is building. God says again in Isaiah 28, 17, Justice also will I make the measuring line, righteousness the plumb line. The hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies. The waters shall overflow the hiding place. The truth is that in this world, there's a lot of wickedness happening. There's a lot of people building in all kind of crazy directions. But in the end, what will last, what will, what will survive is that which is built according to the kingdom of God. 1 Timothy gives us some of, some of the plumb lines. Let, let me start with Proverbs. Some of the plumb lines that we ought to be building our lives according to. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. You know, Pastor, I'm just really feeling that, that, um, that this is the right thing for my life right now. Since when do we trust our feelings? Don't tell me how you feel. Tell me what the Word of God said to you. Tell me what God revealed to you. Well, I'm just feeling, you know, deep down in my tummy, I feel, I just feel a little uncomfortable, Pastor. How do you think Jesus felt when he went to the cross? And yet that was God's will for his life. It's not about how we feel. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to destruction. We don't live by our feelings. We live according to the word of God. 1 Timothy, another plumb line that we should build our lives according to. 1 Timothy 6, 10 and 11. The love of money is the root of all evil. Some of you right now are cursing under your breath. Get behind me, Satan. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Isn't that interesting? That the judgment for the love of money, it's not that God has to reach down and you know, squash somebody. He said they pierced themselves. They built a wall that is crooked and they're sitting underneath it. God said, I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to help you so you don't get hurt. But when you build a life according to the love of money, piercing themselves through with many sorrows. Flee these things, O man of God. Covetousness, greed. God says he's going to measure your life. He's going to say, are you sure you're building correctly? Proverbs 3, verse 27. Withhold not good from them to who it is due. When it is in the power of your hand to do it, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give when, I, when you have it with you. In other words, there's a standard in the kingdom about kindness and generosity. You know, uh, uh, pastor, I, I need some help. Okay, let me, you know, just um, let, me, let me pray about it for about seven weeks. And then come back to me again. When you have the power to help somebody, when you have the ability to help, you, listen, we should live lives of cheerful generosity. We can give, we can help. Don't wait for the government to send a check. Why don't you help? In fact, b before the time of you know, social help and, and, uh, and you know, social safety nets that we've had for the last hundred years in America, you know before that time, you know what the social safety net was? The church. You know what social security was before there was social security? The church. 
feeding of the orphans and the widows. And because the government has come and stepped in and says, I'll do it, the church has said, okay, you do it. And guess what? The government does a crappy job. We ought to be cheerful givers. Can you say amen? 1 John, another plumb line. 1 John 2, verses 9 through 11. He that says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loves his brother lives in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. He who hates his brother is in darkness. In other words, here's a plumb line. Do you care about your brothers and sisters in the church? Do we care about one another here this morning? Do you have any concern about what's happening in my life or Dave's life or Ramon's life? I'm not saying you've got to be the busybody, you know, and nose in everybody's business. But do we have a deep care and concern for one another as brothers and sisters? If you don't care what happens to me or what happens to him or her, you're not in the light. We can hold the line up to your life. Does it show that you have a care, a love, and a concern? Because if you don't, it's a life that's going to be destroyed, a faith that's going to falter. How many Christians who come to church week in and week out with hatred in their heart for somebody sitting on the other side of the church? That's wrong. Last example of a plumb line that God has given us. 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this, no prophecy of Scripture is of one's own interpretation. Prophecy came in not only in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All Scripture. How much Scripture? All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Some of you think that this book is no more important than the New York Times or the Homer's Odyssey. My Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is His plumb line, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yes, pen to page was done by men, but the inspiration was given by God. And this is where we get the plumb lines that we can measure our lives. Let me close with this last thought. Not everybody walks with God. I love that scripture that we started with in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, where he says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? What Amos is speaking about is a relationship. Walking together with someone is a picture of a relationship. Now, in a human relationship, in a marriage, for example, a husband and a wife, if they're uh, going to walk together for many years of their life, guess what? They're going to have to agree on a few things. This is why we do premarital counseling before people get married. Are you sure that you agree with this person on this, 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 and this? Because if there's any disagreement, it's going to be bad, right? And so for two people to walk together through the ups and the downs of life, through sickness and health, through through, uh, through richness and poorness, you know, through all the things that we go through, if we're going to walk together, we have to agree. And in order for human beings to agree with one another, there has to be compromise. I didn't get any amens. Because we don't like that. We don't like to, no, my way. No, but if a, if a marriage or a church or a society, if, it's going, if, if human beings are going to walk together, hey, you've got to change your mind a little bit, I've got to change my mind a little bit, and we can come to an agreement, that's a beautiful thing. Okay, the problem is, 
we take that same assumption and we apply it to our walk with God. But you can't do that. Let me tell you why. Because God don't compromise. He doesn't budge. He is the same. You're not going to change his mind on the reality of his truth. Oh, but Lord, I just really want to feel like a woman today. You're not going to change the truth of God's standard. You're not going to change his mind. Oh, but Lord, I really just want to cheat on my taxes this year so I can get a bigger break. You're not going uh, to pray and say, won't he do it? And God says, no, I won't. Oh, you know, Lord, I just, you know, I really just want to harbor bitterness and hatred in my heart because it feels good. You're not going to walk with God because God doesn't change. How can two walk together unless they are agreed? I'll tell you how you can walk with God. You got to change. You have to change your point of view. You have to agree with what God said. God does not have to agree with what you said. Are you with me this morning? We live in a generation that says, I can make a God of any kind that I want. I can have a God that agrees with my lifestyle if I want. I can go find a church that agrees with my choice of lifestyle. I want to tell you, God's mind is not changed. And that's going to be a more and more difficult message as we move forward into this crazy world that we're living in today. How can two walk together unless they are agreed? But there is hope in this statement. And the hope is this, that you can change. And when you change, you can walk with God. When you walk with God like Abraham walked with God, like Adam in the garden and Eve walked with God before the sin, they built a life according to the plumb line, a wall, a life, a marriage, a city, a nation, a church that will stand because we change in order to walk with God. What about you this morning? What has God changed in your character? Has God changed your mind on anything in the last year? The last six months? Or have you already achieved perfection? Okay, I didn't need to preach this sermon. Everybody here is already perfect. No. If you're going to walk with God, you're going to have to change your mind on some things. I have to change my mind about my life about decisions that I've made, choices and words that I've spoken. If you are going to walk with God, listen, when God gave the warning to his people, he says, I want to help you. I don't want to, to destroy you. But the destruction will come as a result of you ignoring his warnings. What about you this morning? Are you walking with God? It only happens as we agree with what he said. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.